This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights and your questions about the law. I'm Greg Mayer, filling in for your regular host, Liz Gill, and I'm joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our special guest today is Francis Springer, a former deputy sheriff who now works as an attorney here in the Jackson metro area. This morning, we're going to talk about gun rights and the Second Amendment. We'll discuss what rights you have, what Mississippi law allows, and what restrictions are imposed on you as a gun owner. Are bump stocks like the ones used in the recent shooting in Las Vegas legal in Mississippi? What about automatic weapons and silencers? We'll look at these issues and more. If you have a question about gun rights in the Second Amendment, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back after the news. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show about you and your rights and your questions about the law. I'm Greg Mayer, filling in for Liz Gill. I'm joined, as always, by Professor Richard Gershon the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our special guest today is Francis Springer, a former deputy sheriff who is now attorney here in the Jackson metro area, whose practice includes representing individual gun owners and their rights under the law. This morning, we are talking about the Second Amendment and what rights you have to own a gun. We'll talk about what the Second Amendment says and answer your questions about how the law may affect you. If you have a question, call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Greg, and it, it is such an honor to have uh, Francis Springer on today, and I know this is going to be a great conversation. Uh, before we started that conversation, I wanted to announce an event that will be taking place at the law school tomorrow that is free and open to the public. Um, we are proud to welcome the Honorable Bernice Donald uh, to the law school tomorrow. Uh, she is a trailblazer in every way. Uh, she was the first elected African-American woman judge in Tennessee. She later went on to become the first African-American woman to serve on the U.S. Bankruptcy Court, and she also served as a federal district judge for the U.S. District of Western Tennessee. She is now on the Sixth Circuit, uh, which is the court really just below the Court of Appeals Circuit. Uh, court of Appeals are just below the Supreme Court. So it uh, should be a great event. It will be in our Weems Auditorium, and we welcome everyone to attend. That, that event's tomorrow at 12.30 at Ole Miss. Sounds like a great event, Professor. Uh, Francis, good morning. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Francis. It's great to be here. If you could, Francis, maybe to get us started, tell us a little bit about your uh, practice area. Sure, sure. I practice here in Jackson. I've had my own legal practice since uh, 2011. I represent some gun owners, obviously. I represent 
clients in family law and uh, some criminal defense cases, and I represent a number of police officers with various issues, employment, criminal, otherwise. And before you were a lawyer, you were a deputy sheriff? Yes, I was. I was almost 12 years I spent with the Lauderdale County Sheriff's Office in Meridian. Well, this morning our topic is the Second Amendment and what it means for gun owners. Can you just sort of get us started and tell us what the Second Amendment says? Sure, sure. The Second Amendment is uh, the Second Amendment. It states specifically a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Uh, Some people think that's pretty clear as to what that means, and some people think it's not quite as clear. And those that think it's clear think it's clear in two directions. So it's a uh, a topic that gets a lot of debate. Well, what does that mean for a gun owner in Mississippi? For a gun owner in Mississippi, interestingly, uh, the Second Amendment has been applied to the states through two court decisions that have recently come out. I say recently, in the past several years. The first one was D.C. versus Heller, which I'm sure most people have heard about. That's what established the fact that an individual citizen in the United States has a right under the Bill of Rights to own a firearm. Uh, The District of Columbia had banned personal ownership in homes, and uh, Mr. Heller, who, as I understand, was a police officer himself, filed suit over that issue. And uh, the Supreme Court sided with him and said that, yes, you do have that right. Uh, The next case uh, was a Chicago case, excuse me, Chicago versus McDonald. That's what extended the Second Amendment to the state's filed the 14th Amendment. So in Mississippi, the Second Amendment does give you that right. However, under Article 3, Section 12 of the Mississippi Constitution, you also have that right, and it's a little more specific. Well, in, in, take the Second Amendment gives you the right to bear an arm or possess a gun, but what about the flip side of that? What can the government do, just in a general matter, and as far as regulation and or restriction of ownership? That's the interesting thing. Uh, The Heller decision was actually written by Justice Scalia, uh, and he is seen as a rather conservative justice. Uh, He said that it is not an absolute amendment, which is pretty much the same with all of the amendments, uh, excuse me, all the rights under the Constitution. They are very important, but they're not absolute. Uh, He said, and the majority agreed with him, and even the minority, that the government can regulate the possession where you carry a gun, the types of guns on, and that goes on day to day. This morning, we are talking with Francis Springer about gun rights in the Second Amendment. If you have a question, call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Uh, Francis, in Mississippi, are you required to get a background check before you can purchase a firearm? If you're purchasing from what's known as an FFL dealer, a federally firearm licensed dealer, anyone who purchases or receives a gun from a federal dealer has to undergo an instant background check. And that's conducted by the dealer after uh, forms are filled out, namely the Form 4473, which anyone that's purchased a gun remembers the yellow form. Uh, and the dealer calls the National Instant Check System, which is basically run by the FBI. And if that person's cleared, they can then take possession of the firearm, buy it, get it out of pawn, or whatever it may be. So FFL dealers are who? Right. Those are federally fi- excuse me, federal, federal firearms licensees. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms regulates that. They're policed uh, by them regularly. 
and they have a number of things that they have to do as far as controlling who gets the guns from them. They also have to keep a record of each gun and who it's sold to. And to perpetuity, they have to give that back to the ATF if they ever retire, resign, or close their business down. Uh, Francis, I actually saw a, uh, a not pro- not-for-profit group recently auctioning off or raffling off uh, a, an assault rifle um, as part of their auction. And I, I wondered, I mean, so how do they, how can you do a background check on somebody if they win a, an auction like that or a lottery? It was actually like a lottery. That is an interesting question. I've seen some of those and I've thought the same thing. They can do that a, a number of ways. Uh, a lot of uh, places do do that under the agreement that you can purchase one from an FFL dealer. And that's where they come from. Sometimes those are donated to the organization by the dealership. And uh, if you can't qualify for it, you obviously can't get it. And hopefully that's in the understanding where the ticket's bought. Uh, The second way that could be done is the individual organization could theoretically someone there own it and transfer it to the person without the instant background check. However, there are laws that say if they knowingly give that to someone that can't possess a firearm, they are liable and have committed a felony as well. Well, we've got our first caller this morning. It's James from Wiggins. James, good morning. How do you do? Uh, good. Um, What's your question? My question is this, and I have friends and relatives, okay, that own, well, semi-automatic military-style rifles, okay? And I ask them, well, what are you going to do with it? You know, I mean, because I've been hunting all my life with guns. I've been around them all my life. But after this thing in Las Vegas, I'm wondering about, well, why should we allow people to buy these things? James, that's a a great question. And I I think the the first part of his question, Francis, is semi-automatic weapons. Are they legal to purchase in Mississippi? Yes, they are. Uh, And one thing that I know Las Vegas has a lot of focus on on automatic and semi-automatic weapons. Essentially, under the federal regulations, any firearm that fires one round per trigger pull is known as a illegal. They're not all they're not all semi-automatic, but that would be the difference between a semi-automatic and an automatic. Uh, the automatic, by definition, would fire more than one round per trigger pull without a manual reload. Uh, so that's the difference there. The way the bump stock gets around that is it is designed to use the recoil of the rifle against the pressure of the shooter to cause the trigger to fire constantly and you do basically get an automatic type weapons fire but it is legal under the definition of law Uh, but to buy a semi-automatic weapon in mississippi as long as a person can pass the background check they qualify uh, it is legal so there are no additional restrictions or limits on the number of semi-automatic weapons you can purchase no there's not okay now you'd mentioned james did that answer your question well part of it but go ahead well, I was going to uh, bump stocks, and, and mm-hmm. for instance, you brought that up. What exactly is a bump stock? Uh, it's a stock that replaces or modifies the, the firearm to fire repeatedly very quickly. Uh, and again, as long as it's one round fired per trigger pull, that's legal under federal law and, and state law. And what the bump stock does is it's been designed to allow the trigger to be pulled very, very fast with a recoil. And uh, you get a very rapid-fire weapon that's legal for anyone to own. And, and, you know, going back to James' question, uh, what what would be the purpose of owning a weapon like that, a, a semi-automatic weapon or a 
even a, a converted weapon that became mostly a, like an automatic weapon. Uh, it's not for hunting. It's not, you know, really uh, not for personal safety in your home so much. What? Why would someone have that? There's a number of reasons. Uh, my opinion, one thing in the last couple of years is it's been a successful marketing campaign of the gun industry. Uh, there have been guns I've seen out that are pink, uh, blue, whatever, attracting people. And, and semi-automatics are just the same. You can make them... Uh, very interesting to look at for some people, very frightening for others. As far as operation, thankfully we do live in a very safe society where we don't have to refer to the use of weapons like that. But if you take the riots back in the 90s in L.A., uh, even some of the natural disasters we have come to, when you dial 911 and the police are not coming, you know, people want to have something that they can rely on for their personal security. Uh, some people say, well, maybe you can do that with a shotgun. Well, that's true. You probably can. But I liken that to the uh, high-speed motorcycle that we see on the interstate every day. Do you need that to get from place to place? You know, obviously not. Do you need something that will do 100 miles an hour? None of us do. Uh, but it's there. It's part of the freedoms that we enjoy as a society. Uh, if those two things weren't there, we would maybe have less fatalities. But uh, the option's there, and and. Right now, it's illegal. James, thank you for the call. When we come back from the break, we'll continue our discussion with Francis about gun rights and the Second Amendment. If you have a question and want to join the conversation, call us at one mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Standing member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash terms. You can also find us on the new MPB Media app. I'm Greg Mayer, filling in for your regular host, Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're joined this morning by Francis Springer, an attorney here in Jackson and a former deputy sheriff, and we're talking about gun rights and the Second Amendment. Now, Francis, before the break, we were talking just generally about gun rights and, and, and the law, and you represent individual gun owners. What, what's probably the most common question you get from, from your clients about gun ownership? Probably the most common question is where can you legally carry a gun? And uh, that's obviously something uh, most gun owners that have guns for self-protection want to know. Uh, generally, in Mississippi, a resident over the age of 18 that has no felony convictions or can otherwise legally possess a gun can carry the gun in their vehicle without a permit 
and virtually anywhere. Now, there are some restrictions to that, certain federal properties, school properties, things like that. Uh, but on your person's a little bit different. Mississippi law allows an open carry, which is either in a holster or however, into many places. They're obviously restricted. Um, a person with a permit can carry a concealed weapon pretty much as a person with an open carry can carry. They can go in the same places. Can't go into bars, churches, schools, places like that, unless they have an enhanced personal uh, CCW, carry concealed weapon permit. And that is attained by attending a training class that's approved by the Department of Public Safety. And you can carry into more places, uh, but there are a couple of places that you can't carry, period. Some of those are certain federal properties, post office, no police stations, no sheriff's departments, no correctional facilities. Those are off limits to anybody but law enforcement. Okay, and we'll talk. Let's get into some detail about places and where you're restricted or not. But let's also get back to the phones because we've got Paul from Biloxi who's been patiently waiting. Paul, good morning. Good morning to you. What's your question I, this morning? Yeah, I have two questions regarding the firearms permit. I just acquired a Mississippi firearms permit. And uh, so the two questions, the first question is, uh, does the possession of the permit mean I don't have to go through the background check when I buy a gun from a licensed dealer? That's question number one. Or do I just have to show my permit? And the second question is about state reciprocity. If I wanted to travel to Tennessee or Alabama or some other state, uh, can I carry my weapon? Is the permit uh, good in those states? Those are great questions. Uh, unfortunately, some of my clients are not FFL holders right now. So uh, the question, number one, I'm going to go by what it was. I know several years ago, I don't think this has changed. And if you do have a permit, I think that will suffice as far as the national instant background check. Now, I, I can be corrected on that because I'm not sure. Uh, it's possibly not because those are done rather quickly in most cases. Uh, so I, I can't say I know that right off. Now, number two, as far as reciprocity, Mississippi has reciprocity with a number of states. Uh, those can be found on the Department of Public Safety's website or from other uh, excuse me, entities. There are some books that have been published that have this up-to-date in them. I don't have the names of any of those, but I know they exist. But before you travel to another state, you must know that just because you have a permit in Mississippi doesn't mean Mississippi law is going to apply in that state. Uh, so there are states that have severe restrictions on where you carry if you do have a permit. So you have to check those out. And a good place to find that out is through the state's attorney general's office. They can generally give information on that. Uh, it's kind of like in some states you can travel over 70 miles an hour on certain roadways. Uh, you can't do that in Mississippi. So if a person from that state comes here and say, well, I can travel 80 in my home state, well, you can't do that in Mississippi. So you do have to abide by the laws of the state that you're in. So whether you have the right to carry a firearm is going to depend on each individual state's law. Right, and if they recognize a Mississippi permit. Um, in some states, would like would Alabama uh, could could recognize a Mississippi license? Yes, Alabama does recognize Mississippi, Florida, and there's a number of states. I believe there's over 20 states. Paul, thank you very much for your question. Let's go to Jose from Hattiesburg. Jose, good morning. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Well, I just want to comment on the Second Amendment. I believe a lot of people have a uh, uh, misunderstanding about the Second Amendment. They think they just kind of relate it to the right to be able to, you know, hunt, have a rifle, you know, whatever they need for hunting and things like that. But 
the purpose for the first uh, for the Second Amendment was to uh, be able to empower the citizenship against a government that uh, would uh, you know try to overpower them and deprive them of their rights, uh, and so that's why I oppose uh, you know many of these you know the government's intention to deprive us of weaponry that we would need and could use to defend ourselves from foreign enemies and from domestic enemies, even from our own government, should it come to the point where the government should uh, want to, uh, you know, be uh, uh, controlling, uh, maybe go into a a dictatorship, and things like that, kind of like during the revolutionary, you know, during the colonial times, uh, you know, King George and uh, was and his government was seen as, uh, uh, you know, uh, overpowering, uh, taking the people's rights and so forth. And so, if the uh, colonials had 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 not had uh, weapons, which I'm sure you know was the the you know, King George try to, uh, you know, keep away from the people. Jose, that, what have people been able to revolt against? Jose, that, I think Jose has hit right on the, the key point, Francis. If you could talk a little bit about what is it that lawmakers and courts are they're trying to balance the right to the Second Amendment versus reasonable regulation of gun ownership. Can you just talk generally about that sort of tension, which is, I think, at the heart of what Jose's question is? Sure. I think Jose has some some valid points that do come up in the gun control debate. Uh, I think anyone that studies history would probably agree that dictators don't like an armed populace, so that there is some validity to that at face value. Uh, Now, whether an armed populace could turn down a military action by the government, especially the government of the United States, that's a question to really be asked because the government has some pretty powerful weapons. Fortunately, we live in a society where the government is the people. So if the people will exercise their rights and speak up and get involved in government, I don't think that would happen with or without firearms. But historically... uh, I would have to argue the fact that I don't think we've had any invading forces in this country for many reasons. I think one of those would be because the populace is quite well armed. Professor, could you would you weigh in on this sort of that tension that that lawmakers and courts kind of wrestle with? Absolutely. And, I, you know, I liken it to we talked about the First Amendment a couple of weeks ago, and there's certainly regulations on the First Amendment, uh, time and place, manner, restrictions. Uh, so there, you know, even freedom of speech is not an absolute right. Uh, and so, you know, some regulation, I think the balance that, that courts have to have to fit is, you know, where, where's regulation appropriate? Where is there a compelling state interest to to limit this right? And certainly there are times where that happens. I think it's interesting that we had this conversation. I wonder how many people are, are very strongly in favor of their Second Amendment rights, but are upset because football players are kneeling at football games which to me, you know, during the National Anthem, which is their First Amendment right. So I think we have to, if we're going to respect each other in this country, there are things that people do that we may not agree with, but they have a constitutional right to do. Jose, thank you so much for your uh, your call. Let's go to the next caller. It is Bobby from Yazoo City. Bobby, good morning. 
Okay, you know, what I have is a just a normal concealed carry weapon permit, and other people have what they call enhanced. And I was told by the Department of Public Safety there really wasn't any difference in it because the public, uh, if private property rights overrule any permit, yet still they tell me they can carry theirs on property that has weapon bans permit. Could you kind of go over that for me? That's a good question. Uh, the difference in the two permits, first off, is the not really looking at private property. Anyone that owns private property can regulate who comes on their property with a firearm, except law enforcement. And I think the public policy behind that is a criminal nature doesn't need to be able to tell law enforcement you can't come here with a firearm uh, because they have to do that. That's one thing that keeps society safe is we keep talking about we enjoy but the difference between those two permits on private property is either one of them could be restricted by anyone, a mall, a uh, doctor's office, anything like that that's private property, it can be. As far as where you carry without any restrictions, the two permits are going to differ. The enhanced carry permit is going to allow carry in, in places that the regular permit won't, and uh, those are in the law and, and probably can be told by the Department of Public Safety. Bobby, thank you so much for your uh, question. For instance, we had a question emailed, and we talked a little bit about this earlier this morning. The question is, what are the laws from for carrying a firearm while driving from state to state? That's an interesting one because we are a very, very mobile society. Those laws are dependent on the state themselves. Uh, there's generally no law, and I say generally because there's no absolute, in specifically carrying a gun from one state to another. Sales across state lines are heavily restricted, but as far as traveling, you have to know the laws of the state that you're traveling through. Even if you're going to another state that enjoys the same freedoms that you're used to at home in Mississippi, you may pass through a state that has a very strict firearm carry law. If you happen to get caught there, you will be subject to their laws. So that's something that the traveler or the person carrying the gun would need to know beforehand. Well, and, and that's a raises a question that's been asked of me a, a few times in the past, and it's if you are stopped by a police officer uh, and you have a firearm in your vehicle, uh, and let's start with Mississippi. You're in Mississippi and you have a firearm in your car. Do you have to tell the police officer you have a firearm in your car? No, you do not. The uh, You don't have to admit anything to a law enforcement officer, period. Everybody has what's known as a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. So you don't have to tell the officer. Now, what you also have to think about, though, is you don't want that officer to become frightened upon the sight of a gun or upon finding a gun. Uh, so if there's, you know, a, a person that wants to let that officer know, hey, I've got a firearm, be very, very clear with what you're saying and keep your hands where they can see your hands while you're talking about that. Those are the two biggest things on that regard. The officer will give directions after that. When we come back from the break, we'll talk more about gun rights in Mississippi. To join the conversation, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Welcome back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Today we're joined by Francis Springer, a former deputy sheriff who now works as an attorney here in the Jackson metro area. He represents gun owners and advises clients on their gun rights. We're talking about that in the Second Amendment this morning. We have an open phone line, so if you want to join our conversation, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And you can also send us an email to Legal term, terms at mpbonline.org. Now, we've had another call, a uh, message come in that asked about bump stocks, uh, Francis. And the question was, can, is it legal to apply bump stocks to traditional firearms? Generally, the answer is yes. Uh, there are some modifications that can be made to firearms to make them fire fully automatic with one trigger pull. The bump stock doesn't do that. To modify a firearm to make it pull, excuse me, to make it fire more than one round per trigger pull is illegal. You can't do that. Again, the bump stock, the way it's designed, it only fires one round per trigger pull. So applying that is not currently against the law. We have J.C. from Holly Springs. Good morning, J.C. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Okay. Uh, I am currently... uh, a law enforcement officer here in the state of Mississippi, and I'm getting ready to retire. And my question is, I know with the House bill that uh, they passed in Congress, in the United States Congress several years ago, that I can carry. Uh, But would I need to go through an enhanced uh, carry class to cover those other areas that I uh, wouldn't be able to go into with just a normal uh, CCW? That's a great question. Uh, House Bill 218, I believe, is what you're referring to. That was passed back in the early 2000s uh, and signed by President George W. Bush. It does allow full-time and retired law enforcement officers to carry a firearm generally anywhere in the United States without restriction. Uh, I say generally because there are restrictions that come with that. But part of that under HB 218 is that the retired officers qualify fairly regularly. So regardless, you're still going to have to qualify to show that you do have competency and you can still manage a firearm. Now, what Mississippi has done with its concealed carry permits is it has made some uh, exceptions for retired law enforcement officers. Uh, you can get your enhanced carry permit in a different manner than a, a another citizen could. And, and I know one of those things is you would have retired law enforcement officer printed on the card itself. So I think that would be valuable to most retired law enforcement officers to have that to show on demand. So I would recommend checking with the Department of Public Safety and finding out the options and uh, going to what you feel is best for you. Thank you, J.C., for that call. Uh, for those who, who don't know, Francis, if you get an enhanced permit, is that good for your lifetime, or do you have to renew them? No, they are good for five years, and uh, it has to be renewed every five years. If you go 
I'm thinking 90 days to six months. I would have to look to be specific and not renew it. You have to go through the process over again. So uh, you do have to have that renewal. You don't have to go through the training again as the way it's written now, but you do have to renew it with Department of Public Safety. Kind of like a driver's license. Kind of like a driver's license. They're going to run a background check to make sure you still can legally possess and uh, those kind of things. We have uh, Lewis from Mobile on the phone. Lewis, good morning. Morning. What's your question this morning? Uh, my question is, uh, why is it such a common misconception that uh, the Second Amendment's about uh, hunting? That's an interesting question. It has not got the word hunting in it anywhere. <laughs> um, I, I think that's... Yeah, I, I can't say. Uh, I think that's one of the, the arguments that's made as far as the use, the, the traditional use of firearms in today's society is, is unquestionably for hunting. Uh, so that's the only imagination I can give to it as to why hunting comes up. Professor? What about the, the terms uh, well-organized militia? I think that's the more controversial part of it is that uh, a lot of people will say, well, a well-organized militia is one thing. You know, individual gun owners is something different. That's correct. That's correct. A militia is actually, though, a, a conglomeration of the people. And when this was written, there wasn't a local office to go to and uh, training to go to as far as the National Guard that we think of today. Um, so as we look at these amendments, and even was, was mentioned in the Heller decision, even though these, these amendments were instilled when technology was much different than today, you know, even looking at radio, uh, your privacy issues of freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of the press through radio is not something that our founders would have conceived. However, that does apply. What they wrote then does apply to radio. The same would go to firearms. And that was mentioned, like I say, in the Hiller decision. Uh, so things changed. Now, an interesting concept when this was instituted, there was no standing army of the United States. Matter of fact, the Constitution is written to discourage a standing army. So the Intent may have been to rely on the people for those types of things. Uh, so it's hard to say what our founders were thinking. It's hard to say how it should apply today, but I think that's where the hunting comes from. Lewis, do you have something in particular in mind when you're talking about the Second Amendment and hunting? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, my main frustration is just uh, the people that seem to legislate all this stuff uh, seem to just have... Uh, <laughs> Absolutely nothing, uh, <laughs> no knowledge of what they're talking about. No. Yeah, they, they know, know, you know, like the the video that went viral about the guy who's talking about, uh, you know, 30 caliber magazine clips. And, you know, there's too much legislation going on by people that, are, you know, don't know anything about firearms at all. Francis, what, what about that point of it and how knowledgeable – should lawmakers and the courts uh, be about specific types of firearms when they're passing laws or passing judgments based on uh, uh, gun restrictions? That, that is a very good question. It's uh, it's hard to answer because the legislatures are made up of the people. You know, we elect citizens as ourselves to represent us in the legislature. We are electing firearms experts, maybe one or two in the entire legislature. You know, I don't know. Um, I think Hopefully, they are doing the best with the information they're given. Uh, some probably have never fired a firearm. You know, some have probably fired them all their lives. So you're trying to find a good common middle ground. But I think if we look at any legislation, I know last last week, uh, House Bill 1523 was was a topic on the show. 
if you look at that legislation, and I won't change subjects, but there's some verbiage in that legislation that does not apply at all to Mississippi. So we get that, I think, out of all le- uh, legislation to some degree, but I think the groups hopefully are doing the best they can with the knowledge that's put there in the Capitol. Yeah, I would I would add that I'm, I'm a tax lawyer, and, uh, you know, we got people in Congress looking at tax law that have never understood it and don't really understand it, but they're going to be legislating it. So, you know, that that goes, that's pervasive, I think. You know, I wish... I wish our legislators uh, legislators would uh, educate themselves more on these topics, uh, whatever they happen to be. Lewis, thank you for your call. Um, in your experience, Francis, as a, as a law enforcement officer, uh, and now given your perspective as a lawyer, would you think that regulations for handguns uh, or, or the, the extent to which the government should regulate handguns would be different from what it should do for semi-automatic weapons? Um, they're they're definitely different. A handguns easier to conceal to carry places without uh, being seen. Uh, the interesting thing is is handguns do fall in the category of semi-automatic, just as rifles do. Uh, the difference, obviously, in a handgun is defined by federal law in, in something that doesn't have a stock. You can basically fire with one hand with ease. Uh, rifles have a a rifled bore. Uh, it fires generally one projectile, and uh, then you have shotguns, which have a clean bore, can fire multiple projectiles or one. But as far as regulation, I think the makers of the law or legislatures should look and see how society can be best protected while at the same time you know, securing the rights of everyone. That's not an easy question at all to answer. Um, we look back to the 1994 assault weapons ban. Uh, that came out. The hardest part there was defining what would be an assault weapon because if you get to defining the AR-15 or the AK-47 by verbiage, you are banning the hunting rifle because they operate the same. So uh, it's a very, very touchy subject, and it's one that's not easy at all to legislate. We can go back to the phones. We've got Jerry and Bay Springs. Jerry, good morning. Yes, good morning. Thank you all for taking my call. Absolutely. What's your question? A couple of points to make. Maybe y'all can discuss it. When I get through, I'll hang up and listen to your answers. Um, On the matter of carrying guns into establishments, uh, open carry, uh, there are some that don't allow it. So someone who pulls up in their truck and they're going into a convenience store, they got to take their gun out and put it in the glove compartment or something, go in, buy their stuff, come out, take the gun out, put it back in. Then they go to the bank. They got to take the gun out, put it in the glove compartment, go in, do their business, come back out, put the gun back in. Doesn't this, or don't you think this would lead to um, gun thefts? Because if somebody was witnessing this, they might run over there while your truck's unlocked, reach in the glove compartment, steal your pistol. The other point I have to make is um, with open carry, if I'm uh, determined to go into a Walmart, kill as many people as I can. I walk in, I see somebody with a AR-15 strapped across his back. Who do you think I'm going to shoot first? And after I get through with him, then I'm free to do whatever I want to, unless someone's walking around with a concealed pistol. But in the meantime, I could do a lot of damage. So those are two things that I thought about, about this ridiculous male obsession with carrying a gun around in public to show how macho you are and uh i'll hang up now and let y'all make your comments thank you thank you for your call jerry what about open carry and and jerry's point 
Well, the first thing Jerry talked about, and those are great points to make, um, is control of the weapon. If you do have to take it off to put it in your glove compartment, I hope that person is making sure the car is locked. I hope they're doing something affirmatively so they don't lose their weapon and arm someone that doesn't need it. As far as open carry, you know, being a former police officer, I wouldn't open carry. You know, I'm not there to save the day. I'm there to, if I have to do anything, save myself and, and my family. That would be my first goal. I don't want that person focusing on me because they see my firearm. I want to personally do my best to get out of there with as little harm as possible. So that's something people don't think about, I think, when they're looking at open carry. Some other things that are not thought about um, is is who is the good guy and who is the bad guy carrying the AR-15. Uh, they don't have tags that they wear, that I'm the bad guy today, I'm the good guy today. Uh, the next thing people don't think about is what are they going to do when law enforcement arrives? They see you there, you've got a gun. They don't know if you're the good guy or the bad guy. Uh, back when I was with the sheriff's office, there was a very, very graphic training video that came out from South Carolina of a trooper that was killed on the side of the road. Some truck drivers stopped to assist him. They were armed. And when the assisting troopers got there, they didn't know who was who. And two real good-hearted, nice truck drivers almost died because they didn't know to put their guns down. So there are a lot of things that have to be thought about there before a person carries a gun in public, and uh, hopefully they are being thought about. When we come back from the break, Michael from Cordova will take your call, and we're going to continue our discussion with Francis Springer about gun rights and the Second Amendment. If you have a question, call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. This morning we're talking with Francis Springer, a former deputy sheriff and now a practicing lawyer who represents gun owners. We're talking about your gun rights and the Second Amendment. I'm going to get right back to the phones because Michael from Cordova has been patiently waiting. Michael, good morning. Hey, how are you doing? Just fine. What's your question this morning? Yeah, I was wondering about the legality of suppressing the noise volume of uh, firearms are, is. And uh, I was also wondering about how you understand or, or perceive your actual, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but 
I was trying to. I was, I was wondering about how you understand how firearms like uh, take a part in your life. Michael, those are great questions, and, I, and that, the first part of that question I think has to do with silencers. Silencers are a topic that have come up recently. I know there's some legislation proposed, I believe, in the United States Congress as well as the Mississippi Legislature to lighten the restrictions on silencers. Uh, there are good points in that. There are not so good points in that. Uh, obviously, one of the biggest, I guess, issues with a firearm is it does make a good report. So the encouragement to fire one somewhere is not very great if it's going to be discovered and heard. Uh, taking that away could theoretically cause some shootings to be done that uh, that are not discovered or uh, encourage someone to maybe do a shooting not to be discovered. Uh, there are some physical aspects of, of weapons that you can't get around the noise. If you have a supersonic round, you're going to get a, a crack that you're going to hear. It's going to be a good size. But as far as the legislation right now, uh, it's illegal to possess a silencer in Mississippi. It's a misdemeanor punishable by not more than $500 or up to 30 days in the county jail or both. Under federal law, it's a felony to possess a silencer unless you have gone through the process of paying $200 for a tax and, and going through the background check and the approval process of the ATF. Uh, so there are silencers out there under our two jurisdictional uh, federal and state jurisdictions. There are different avenues to approach that. So if you have one legally through the federal system, it's still illegal to possess under the state system. Professor, you care to weigh in on the silencers? No, I don't. I'm sorry. I, I think that uh, actually Francis hit the nail right on the head. I mean, there you know there there are laws, and that just shows the balance that states have in regulating a silencer, which is not the firearm itself, but is a you know an additional thing that can be added to the firearm. Uh, and so some people say they could also regulate bump stocks, and that would be uh, appropriate if they wanted to do that. And I think the second part of Michael's question was, is, are guns in, in, in your life, Francis? Are you a gun owner? I am a gun owner. Uh, when I was a deputy sheriff, I was a firearms instructor. I instructed on um, assault rifles of, of police as well as just regular day-to-day. -day. Um, as we were discussing before the show since then, I, I, I've not shot much. And one of the biggest reasons was uh, the department was buying my ammunition then. So it was a lot easier to shoot and a lot more fun than when I'm shooting my own. Uh, but yes, I do. I do own firearms. Uh, I'm, I'm not to the point where I feel like I have to carry one every day. It, I, I don't think the society that we live in is actually that threatening. Uh, we hear about it. We see about it on the news constantly. But actually in, in walking around, I think we have a pretty safe society. Uh, that being said, there are times when I do have it and, and carry it. Michael, thank you so much for your call this morning. Let's go to Paul, who is traveling on I-20. Paul, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Good this morning. What's your question? Well, I just wanted to make a statement. Uh, I'm an FFL dealer, and uh, it, it seems like I just wanted to let you know that if you've got a CCW permit, you still have to fill out the 4473 form, but we do not have to call in and do the background check. All right? And also, I wanted to say uh, on out-of-state sales, you can sell a long gun across state lines. You cannot sell a handgun. And the last thing was 
I just wanted to say you're always hearing about the gun show loophole. Uh, there is no gun show loophole. If you're a dealer at a gun show, you still have to run the, the instant background check. Uh, of course, a lot of times there are individuals walking around that will sell to each other, but that's not from dealers. So there's actually no gun show loophole at all. Uh, and that's no different than a guy, you know, runs an ad in the paper and says, I got a shotgun for sale or a pistol or a rifle or whatever, and an individual purchases it from him. But I just wanted to make that clear. There, there is no gun show loophole that you're always hearing these uh, gun grabbers talk about. Paul, Paul, that is some great information. Francis, could you talk a little bit about what the, the gun show loophole in general, what's he, what's he referring to and, 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 and why, it, why doesn't it apply? Right. Paul, I appreciate you calling in and giving us that information from a dealer. Um, the gun show loophole is, is a misnomer. I think like Paul said, any FFL dealer, no matter where he or she may be that's selling a firearm, whether it be at the trademark in Jackson or in their shop, they have to go by the same criteria. They have to have the 4473 filled out. The person buying it has to fill that out, provide ID, and go through the background check or uh, exhibit their carry permit. So the gun show loophole, I think where that comes from is a sale at a gun show or, like Paul said, from anywhere, an individual to an individual, goes without a background check. Um, the problem with that is if the person selling knows they're selling to someone that can't legally possess a firearm, that's a felony. Uh, now, will they know that? That's a question of, of fact at that time. But as far as a gun show loophole, that's that's a, a bad misnomer because any sale at a gun show by an FFL dealer, and most of the people at that gun show are FFL dealers, have to go through a background check just as they would at the shop. Paul, thank you so much for your call. Francis, I would be curious, what, in your view, is the most pressing issue today with regard to gun control legislation? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I, th I think the fact that, that, at least to me, the crime rates are, are pretty low. They're down, regardless of what we hear on the news. If you look at the FBI's compilation of, of firearm statistics and, and crime, they're down. The numbers of guns used in crimes, even though one crime is, is bad enough, you can't get much worse than that, but the numbers used there are so minute that blanket legislation or a blanket attempt to ban or control a certain firearm because it's perceived to be a dangerous item is, uh, is a tough pill for a lot of gun owners to swallow, and I think they've got some pretty good evidence to back that up. Professor, what about in your view? What's, what's the most pressing issue today uh, with regard to gun control legislation? Well, I think we need to have a conversation. I really do. I, you know, I, I, uh, the last caller talked about gun grabbers. I think people who want to see some uh, intelligent legislation of guns, just like there's intelligent legislation of the First Amendment and other amendments, uh, are not gun grabbers. My wife works for Gardening Gun Magazine, but I do want to see some legislation that makes sense so that we can have uh, a good conversation about where that legislation should be. We don't seem to want to have a conversation. It's either you are for them or you're against them. Well, that'll wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. It was a good conversation, and we appreciate, Francis, you joining us today. It was Francis Springer. He's an attorney here in the Jackson metro area. To hear this show or other shows, visit mpbonline.org slash terms, or you can download the MPB Media app and listen on your smart device on demand. Our board engineer and producer today was Michelle McAdoo. For Professor Richard Gershon, I'm Greg Mayer. Up next, 
relatively speaking. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.